Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello guys, how are you doing? Welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast, sponsored by Betfair. It's a Monday pod where, albeit a reduced slate of EFL action, just two games last weekend in League One and 11 in League Two, there's quite a lot of excitement uh, as to what that means for the cadence of this pod. It it allows us to stretch our legs a little bit, so uh, hopefully you'll enjoy this pod. We've got some managerial news to get our teeth into and loads of games as well. I mean, there's also a bit of tension in the air. Uh, just before we started recording, George and I have had yet another disagreement about gnocchi. <laughs> where it turns out you've been overcooking it. No. You've been turning it into mashed potato. There's so little clear rules on this food what, stuff. Can I just quickly say something? Yeah. This was a conversation that we had on the podcast, I reckon now over two years ago. Mm. And you've just gone back into it as if we were discussing it last week. And there are going to be a lot of people listening who have absolutely no idea why you brought up gnocchi. And the reason for that is, is that Ali doesn't like gnocchi. I think it's extremely overrated. Mm. And it comes from a, a place of the sort of love mixed with disappointment. The love being, I love pasta and I love potato. So the disappointment comes from the fact that on paper, those two things together, wow, that should be an unbelievable combo, potato-pasta. But I feel like the final offering very much less than the sum of its parts, which means I just prefer to eat either pasta or potato. Gnocchi, be better. Um, (laughs) Great week on the EFL newsletter by NTT20, by the way, which we hope you are subscribed to. And if not, we hope you will be within the next minute or two because Hugh Davis wrote his sort of second big piece of the year, George. And obviously I'm biased because obviously this is the reason that we, we brought Hugh into the team. But I just find his writing style so great to read but also mixed with always kind of good research and a a subject matter in this instance sort of league one and league two loans that I don't think has been done much before yeah but there's a reason for that like there there are very few publications that are putting out just EFL content and therefore I think it would be quite hard to get commissioned by most of them to do a piece purely on League 2 and League 1 loans Um, but that doesn't mean there isn't an audience for it and I totally agree I think it was really well written and very insightful and it's the kind of stuff I think we both hope that we'll be doing on the newsletter for a while so um, you've led me to water there and I think I'm going to drink albeit I'm a bit worried about opening Pandora's box here right should we should we mention that we can and will commission really good yeah, yeah, EFL sure. writing. Yes. 
So if you're a writer and you love the EFL and you're frustrated by the fact there aren't many places that publish EFL-specific writing where depth is key rather than frowned upon, why not get in touch with us? ntt20.pod at gmail.com. Uh, we, we are paying our writers. Uh, that is absolutely for sure. And while at the moment we have a pretty sort of set structure uh, of the newsletter, three posts a week minimum, uh, that's not to say that in the future and even in the near future we wouldn't um, try and, and provide more for the paid subscribers uh, in the form of more guest columns. So if you are a, um, a writer and you're looking for opportunities, why not drop us a line, ntt20.pod at gmail.com. Uh, it's always great if the those emails come with ideas or pitches, um, but equally if you just want to touch base, get on our radar, um, please do that as well, ntt20.pod at gmail.com and to be a subscriber to make sure you are enjoying what we hope will be the best place for written EFL content anywhere in the world ntt20.com sign up today uh, as a free subscriber you'll get one piece a week as a paid subscriber which comes out at like £1.38 a week you get three pieces minimum a week Uh, this week we've got a mailbag coming out answering such questions as if you were to redo your 1-24s to now, which team in each three divisions would you move up the most and which team would you move down the most? And also, we hear a lot about the, how the likes of Brentford and Brighton are great at using data, but which EFL clubs do you think use it best? Uh, all that on ntt20.com this week. Let's start our weekend recap in League One. Let's start with the manager news, George. Two appointments in particular. Uh, Charlton have appointed Michael Appleton to replace... Dean Holden. So let's get into that. We spoke about the sacking of Holden, the new ownership, the atmosphere within the fan base, um, hoping that this isn't just the same old story as it has been for uh, many a year now at Charlton Athletic. So in signing or in hiring rather Michael Appleton to be their manager, I can imagine you're you're pretty negative about this one, mate. (laughs) I think it's got to the stage now where I'm pretty perceived to be more um, unbiased when it comes to talking about Oxford than talking about Michael Appleton. Uh, Yeah, I you know, I can, I can definitely understand why, you know, you've got to think 99% of the time when an EFL club hires a manager, the first thing they do is go on Wikipedia and then the second thing they do is make a judgment based off, off their Wikipedia page and they're probably going to weight that judgment very heavily in favour of, of the more recent jobs. Um, and also, like frankly, unless there's like a, a really pertinent reason why a fan base don't want a manager, such as... Michael Appleton at Blackpool, where he was appointed manager for the first time under the Oyston ownership era, who had links to Preston. Like that's one an example where that's going to be quite hard to shake off. Generally, I would say otherwise. Um, perception within the first couple of weeks of a manager a manager's career is actually totally and utterly irrelevant. Like as soon as the players hit the grass and they start playing, that's where you know you get the actual opinions being formed beyond just well, I'm going to look at his win percentage and try and judge what a manager is based off that, which is obviously way too base and way too uh, reductive to do so. What I would say with Appleton, like this Charlton job, job I think is different to a lot of other jobs um, because their academy is so good and because they have so many academy players currently playing first team football. So you need to have somebody with a track record in developing young talent. And even though there are lots of managers out there right now who have got out of League One, you know, Liam Richardson being an example of a a guy who um, won the league with Wigan a couple of seasons ago. And therefore, Charlton fans maybe would look at someone with that recent uh, accolade and think we need someone who has got out of this league before. Actually, 
it's such a horses for courses job where you've got to have somebody who has a track record of developing young talent in order to enable the job to work itself like you, you can't go into Charlton and have a win at all costs attitude right now because you need to nurture and develop the young players whose future sell on value could completely change the way that Charlton as a football club uh, are able to operate especially when you consider that the, the constraints of um, being a club where the, the, the former owner in Roland de Châtelet still owns the stadium so Appleton has that you know, across, um, it was unbelievable. Somebody, I mean, obviously I was arguing on Twitter about this all day on Saturday. <laughs> obviously. And someone um, someone tweeted me saying to have had Bren- Brennan Johnston and Morgan Rogers in League One and not get promoted is embarrassing. Yeah. And I was like, that is just an incredible way to view that season. Like he, <laughs> Brennan Johnston, who no one knew before that season. I'm pretty sure quite a lot of, you know, people within Forest or around Forest did not anticipate Brendan Johnson was going to have the kind of future that he was going to have at that club. <laughs> well, it's worth remembering that Alex Mighton was kept at Forest the season that Brendan Johnson, who I think is a year older than Mighton, was sent on loan to League One. And Mighton was getting first team minutes that year. Yeah, and, and that is, it's easy to ignore. But I, even though, in my opinion, the job he did at Oxford was incredible and is why he's widely regarded as our greatest manager, at least in the last kind of 20 or 25 years in a singular season to do what he did at Lincoln in that season take them 1-0 up at Wembley in a playoff final to Blackpool surpasses all of it and yeah you're sure you look back at it now and Rodgers and Johnson were two great players who maybe were better than the level but that's good youth recruitment which is something that's littered through Appleton's uh, two best jobs in, in Lincoln and Oxford where at Oxford he you know, at a League Two level, brought in Kimar Roof, who has gone on to have an unbelievable career at the top level. John Lundstrom, who again played in a European final last season. Um, Ryan Ledson, a Championship player. Uh, Joe Rothwell, who's now a, a a a Premier League player. I mean, there's so many examples of, of players that were developed under Appleton's um, tenure, and that is really important to this Charlton job. I'd also say that um, with Appleton in particular, like you have to contextualise all perceptions of success and failure. Now, you, to a man, you'll have Blackpool fans telling you that Michael Appleton is a bad manager, and I, I, I'm i not going to argue with them about that. Like They didn't enjoy his tenure at all. It wasn't a good fit. But taking on a job where the previous incumbent has won a promotion and then wildly outperformed um, expectations or even budgetary position in a second in, in a first season of the championship taking on that job when you come into the club you lose in Josh Bowler by far and away the best player um, as part of that that season before and yet you are expected to continue to overachieve like when you take over a, a, a job at a kind of bottom budget um, or bottom third budget you are basically, you have to overachieve your budget. You have to outperform your budget, otherwise you are deemed to be a failure. And I think that is a very short-sighted way of seeing that in in the Charlton job now. And I know that Charlton fans in particular aren't particularly enamoured with this squad of players. But I personally think it's a pretty good squad still with a lot of experience and a lot of proven League One quality alongside the the exciting young talents with Mars Lieburn to come back, who's, who's the poster boy for that. I... Um, you know, this is the first time, basically, apart from the Oxford job where Appleton, you know, his success can be measured accurately alongside what is a, a pretty good squad and a pretty good budget. Now, I'm not saying he should win promotion this season, but it does feel like with Andy Scott having been brought in as well, like the new owners at Charlton are trying to implement a framework or an off-field management structure that 
is for the long term and is the platform for success. Um, and I'm not sure he's really had that before. So, yeah, I, I don't think there are many managers available to League One clubs who have both done what he did at Lincoln in that one season and who have had such a transformative effect on one club as he did at Oxford. Now, there's definitely a, a PR angle to this where I think probably, well, maybe not by his own admission, but I think he probably has to be a bit cuter with the way that he talks to the fans sometimes. Like, there was no issue at all with his relationship with the fans at Oxford when things were going well, but it's maybe understanding that you can't just win fans over by winning games of football. You have to play the game a little bit. And it'll be interesting to see if, if he does do that after, you know, Blackpool, certainly not. But One of uh, his predecessor, Dean Holden's strengths as well. Very, so. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll be judged against that. Definitely, definitely. But I, yeah, I mean, I... I think there is a, you know, and this also comes, in my opinion, at a very important time for, for Appleton where he is still absolutely early enough in his managerial career that he could have a career that goes much higher than League One. But similarly, because now there maybe won't be as many excuses this time around as there have been previously, you know, it's important that he gets this right. And I think at times, maybe at Lincoln, you could argue that there was not never really felt like he was quite as engaged even when things were going very well um I don't think we're going to see that this time I think this is a a, a, a club that still have massive aspirations to get back to being where they where they once were a fan base who are desperate for something to believe in and something to hope in and even though right now Appleton isn't that person having been part of a fan base who massively did buy into what we got and we were massively rewarded with some of the best seasons we'll ever have watching our team if Appleton does get it right at Charlton then I can see it working very well I think it's a much better fit for him than Blackpool uh, even leaving aside the the affiliations with North End and uh, the previous spell at Blackpool uh, I think and I hope uh, there is plenty of evidence from pre-season uh, last season and the start of the season as well to uh, back up uh, when I say that I, I always felt it was a bit of an awkward fit in terms of the situation in the squad uh, on a footballing level uh, replacing Neil Critchley a manager who had wrung every inch out of uh, the players that he had at his disposal first and foremost by being one of the best coach teams out of possession uh, and then finding a, an attacking um, ingredients if you like that that worked as well but going sort of defense first um, I don't think that's a great fit for Appleton who I see as a manager that can uh, well generally empowers good attacking players particularly uh, wide players skillful players number 10s strikers to, to thrive and, and sets a team up in order to score goals first and foremost so I think that uh, that was a, an issue at Blackpool because of the, the context, as you've just mentioned, of their situation in the championship, their budgets, their squad, the players that they had. Sure enough, they'd never really got a, a grip on things defensively and that undermined the, the attacking play. Um, whereas here with Charlton, in the context of this league and in the context of this squad, they have attacking quality. They should be dominating many of the opposition that they come up against in League One. And I think that suits him. I think they'll play good stuff, front foot stuff. Um, and I guess the interesting thing is, under Holden, I thought they were decent going forward and fairly chaotic and disastrous defensively so far this season. So I'm not sure whether adding someone who's 
maybe it's a good thing rather than a bad thing adding someone who again will carry on with the front foot style that mentality already within the squad after Dean Holden's tenure um, but hopefully can find a way uh, either with him or his coaches that he brings with him to improve that defensive shape and structure and the discipline as well because the amount of individual errors at the back has just been terrible for Charlton this season so uh, looking forward to seeing how uh, how he goes as mentioned you know, you talked about the amount of youth players that have played so far this season for Charlton. I wouldn't be surprised if that is reduced quite dramatically, not because Michael Appleton doesn't like working with academy players, but because that was more circumstantial, I think, than hugely by design. The minutes for Carno, for example, the minutes for um, Karoy Anderson, the minutes for Nathan Asimwe, I'm sure the club are, are happy to provide development minutes for them. However, I think the idea is that there will be senior players taking those positions who maybe have been injured or not quite up to speed or fit enough. So I'm not sure we'll see starting 11s with four or five academy graduates going forward, um, players coming back from injury, four transfer deadline day signings who haven't had a chance to play yet. So New look Charlton uh, in a couple of uh, well in a couple of days time when they play their first game back after the international break. The other League One appointment is at Fleetwood Town, and it's a real old friend of the pod, someone for whom I've always felt a little bit bad for either creating or at the very least popularising the nickname Streaky Lee, uh, Lee Johnson. Uh, we've had a, a a good time with Lee Johnson on the pod. Um, he was once asked by the Bristol City media man if a late winner was better than sex. Finish like that, it makes me really, really uh, excited for the future and proud of the players. Speaking of excitement, better than sex? Better than... <laughs> better than sex. <laughs> and the eyebrow that he raised was one of the funnier things I've ever seen. Uh, he's a man that provides quotes that mostly are seen as uh, a bit over the top. Here's another one from his Sunderland days. There's a quote that says, uh, the sharks worry about Monday. No, they go around being sharks and biting stuff and, and being aggressive. And uh, we showed that and I think it resonated quite well. Um, so yeah, we bit a few ankles today, that's for sure. And the one thing he's always done quite well, George, is when he's left a job, he's found another one pretty quickly. Uh, that was the case when he had a couple of months off between Sunderland and Hibernian. He's now the manager of Fleetwood Town, only a couple of days after being sacked by Hibernian. So, um, you were understanding of Fleetwood's decision to part ways with Scott Brown. They've got one point from their six league games so far. Uh, they've lost five in a row in the league. Uh, so, what do you make of their appointment of Lee Johnson? Yeah, I don't, I don't hate it. It's, it's, it's difficult with Johnson to really accurately understand where he is in his career right now. Like... When you think that he was appointed Sunderland manager not that long ago, 2020 in December. So, yeah, not too long ago and, and how big a job that is at League One level. And then even the Hibs job um, in 2000, you know, in, just over a year ago uh, in May 2022. Um, this is a guy who had Bristol City in the championship consistently kind of on the on the brink of the playoffs without ever really getting there. But there's no denying that the two jobs at Sunderland and Hibernian have not gone to plan. Now, he's not in any way popular um, at Sunderland. Uh, you know, his appointment didn't go the way that it was anticipated to. I think it was seen at the time as being quite a good one and quite an impressive one. Um, and often with managers, especially ones as streaky as Lee, the, um, you know, the trajectory of their careers 
goes in in kind of swathes, I guess, rather than spikes. And at the moment, it definitely feels like after building a really good reputation initially at Oldham, where I still remember watching that Oldham team and you'd see Johnson's side playing really good, you know, passing football without necessarily great results. But that was enough to trigger Barnsley into hiring him where he built the team that Hecky took up. Um, and then at Bristol City, where again, he, you know, even though there were runs of, of performances that were bad and runs that were very good, generally he did very well and if you look at what's happened with Bristol City since he left like there, there was definitely a drop off highest league finish since 2007-2008 he achieved there you um, go. a couple of great cup runs as well yeah um, so yeah I mean it's it, I think for Fleetwood it's it's a bit of a coup it feels a, a move away from the, the profile of manager that they normally hire where it's normally a, a young ex-pro who's looking to kind of make their first steps in the game I think when you consider funny you say that he's, he is very much an ex-pro and he's only 42. 42 I know but this is different this is a guy with you know 500 games of management under his belt um, and when you consider that you know Joey Barton is still a league one manager Scott Brown I don't think is going to get another league one job anytime soon Stephen Craney you know it hasn't worked what they've tried to do basically by by going out and getting an, an experience. I mean, it nearly worked with Barton, obviously, with that playoff campaign. Um, the only concerns I have is, is maybe a bit of a stylistic issue. Like, I, I'm not entirely sure that um, Lee Johnson coming into a club that's been very much recruited to play a certain way, that went out and got Stockley and Marriott last uh, window, that I wouldn't say there are loads of kind of ball-playing, technically gifted midfielders in, that, in the squad. Is he going to have to develop or, or change the way that he wants to play? Is there going to be a bit of a, a slow start because of the different type of ideas that he'll try to implement? Maybe, um, but still, Johnson is someone who um, his stock might be low now. But if he can get it right, there's there's, a, there's obviously a massive upside there too. Again, one possible problem like there was if we said it at the time like the, the cultural fit at Sunderland always felt a little bit strange, and I do wonder again like could there be an issue? But obviously given the, the different size of the two fan bases, maybe there's less pressure to to win everyone over in order to, to, to move forward. Um, there's no, As I said before, there's no way this squad is as bad as their league position. So in that sense, it's a good job for him to take on um, because he's someone who now needs to rebuild his reputation to try and be getting the same kind of jobs that he was getting prior to, to well, to this one, really. Yeah. First thing to say on the Streaky Lee nickname, because these things can kind of take on a, a bit of a, a world of their own, there's a positive aspect to yeah, the nickname. Yeah, a lot of wins. You know, some of the streaks that we're talking about are incredible winning runs, uh, you know, with amazing points return over a, a decent period of time. Um, that suggests a, a manager that can hit a, a high ceiling, if only for, for a few weeks or a few months, not someone that's necessarily put it together for uh, any longer than a couple of months at this point. Of course, you have to try and understand what it is about a manager that, that has those moments and then also seems to oversee these desperate runs as well. Um, I don't know whether that's a, a personality thing, an emotional thing in terms of like the emotional management of a team, um, but it's certainly interesting. Um, I, as I often do, have uh, got in touch with the Scottish Mole, NTT20 Scottish Mole, who's possibly one of my favourite people in the world, by the way. <laughs> um, you don't even tell me who he is. And, um, I'm none the wiser. And... Uh, Yes, I wanted to know a bit about Lee Johnson's spell at Hibs because not knowing much about Scottish football, I think there's a real danger in doing what you you said uh, is the obvious thing to do when you don't know that much about a league or a team or a manager and you just go to Wikipedia or you look at league tables. I didn't want to, ju you know, 
talk on the podcast about his spell at Hibs without really knowing much about it. So um, I had some info from from Scottish Mole just in terms of whether he was harshly done by, what his work had been like up there. He didn't think he'd been harshly done by. Now, Hibs have a really poor record of hiring and firing managers recently. So, um, you know, that has to be kind of known as part of the context here. So there'll be some people who sort of see that and think, well, Hibs never really give managers time. They don't give them much leeway. Um, But taking that out of it, Scottish Mole still said that he felt Johnson had approached it in maybe not the smartest way. Um, Tactically overdoing it a little bit. Um, Certainly, you know, trying to implement the sorts of things that managers of, of his philosophy try and implement, building through the thirds, passing out the back. Um, I think he, he went for a technical rather than a physical team. And uh, from what I understand from Scottish Mole, that wasn't necessarily something that worked that well for, for where Hibs wanted to be and for them to pick up results in the SPL. So uh, would a simpler game plan have been better? Um, maybe, maybe not. Depends if you can get it right, I guess, because it's it's fantastic if you do get it right, playing that sort of way. Also said, not great in the transfer market. Now, I don't know how much of the recruitment would have been down to him, but I think it, it was to an extent um, and it, he didn't really manage the squad that well that he'd built it was all a little bit muddled um, so again maybe coming in at Fleetwood with the window being closed um, you know their recruitment's been fairly good I'd say for a club of their size in League One over the last few years so hopefully if he can just focus on the players he has at his disposal for a few months that could be a good thing um, but ultimately you know Hibs have the fourth highest budget in Scotland he didn't hit expectations uh, and, and I don't think the fans warmed to him as well from from that sort of cultural perspective so still easily early enough in the season for him to be able to get the team going you know even without the desperation of needing to win, win right away although it won't hurt uh, look at Burton last season they had a, a pitiful points tally after uh, eight games or so and they, they managed to hit mid-table by the end of the season the, the, the worry is that Fleet would have been poor now they've had some really tough away games, uh, away at Derby, away at Bolton, away at Charlton, um, and they've lost those games. But then at home to Shrewsbury, poor. At home to Cambridge, poor. Not great away at Carlisle, which was the, the one point that they've got so far. So you do start to wonder which teams they will play well against uh, in this league, if any, uh, and therefore where and how they'll get their points. Uh, so interesting. Stockley, Marriott, Tishamanga up front. You'd th- you'd hope there's plenty to work with there uh, as, a, as a group of strikers. My concern is stylistically, if, you, if you're trying to build through the thirds, whether the players that Fleet would have at the back and in deep midfield areas are comfortable enough on the ball for that. Um, I think Josh Earl is probably their best player on the ball in any sort of defensive or, or deep area. So interesting appointment. Uh, Fleetwood's overall future is obviously still fairly unclear from where we're sitting with their owner in prison at the moment. Um, but uh, they've gone for Lee Johnson and we're hoping for some good quotes so we can have a bit of fun on the pod. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. In League One on the weekend, did you expect Leighton Orient to go to Exeter and win 2-1? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Did you? No. Well, <laughs> it, interesting. So uh, I was lucky enough to be invited on Orient Live, which is Leighton Orient's in-house TV uh, channel, if you like. Uh, fantastic. Um, 
uh, a great setup, really. I think a real boon for the club and, and surely great for O's fans across the world to be able to watch um, sort of coverage like that around the, the general iFollow feed. Um, so it was a pleasure to be invited on to, to host that, um, filling in for Ollie, uh, who's their regular host for uh, last Saturday and this coming one as well. Really enjoyed doing my first bit of sort of TV presenting, live TV presenting. Pretty terrifying, if I'm honest. Really flying by the seat of your pants at times, but um, really enjoyed it with uh, Kevin Lisby and Joe Widowson, who were great guys. Um, fun to talk to Kevin, who's got twin sons in the game. One with Brentford B, uh, Kyrese, who seems like an interesting young talent, and then one playing for Cray Valley in the Isthmian League Southeast Division, who's got six goals already this season. So Kyrell Lisby might be a name that we see um, in, in, in uh, a few years' time in the EFL. But f- researching beforehand... You know, it had been a terrible week for Orion by any measure. They'd lost 3-0 at home to Stevenage, the team they pipped to the title, that have Steve Evans as their manager. Steve Evans and Richie Wellens do not get along. Um, he's obviously a pantomime villain. So that was a painful home defeat. They'd only won one of their first six. Then they'd lost in midweek in the Papa Johns with two straight red cards, uh, one of them from their new signing, Brandon Cooper. And I'd say the the atmosphere was quite low. And yet I listened to a few Orient pods and watching interviews from Paul Terry, Richie Wellens, I didn't really get a feeling of panic. And that was really refreshing. I enjoyed that. There was still an understanding that, no, nah, we're still fairly confident that we've we've got the tools and the manager to, to put in good performances and pick up more points than we have done so far. So it was then funny to see from the very first whistle, Orient, by miles the better side against Exeter. You know, now we have to say that Exeter were missing Sinisalo, their keeper, and I think it's a big drop-off between him and Woods, the backup. Uh, Niskanen was with Finland as well. Dion Rankin was injured. So they had a 16-year-old Jake Richards starting in midfield uh, who had a... Well, it was a tough afternoon. He did fairly well and, and did get an assist. Uh, Sonny Cox up front, only 18. So Exeter were a little undercooked uh, and it was a baking hot day, but it, it really was very one-sided. Undercooked on a baking hot day. Um, <laughs> How can that be? Yeah, it was very one-sided and great to see from Orient. And what I like about this is we've seen them now put in very good performances in very different ways. Like We've seen them be a possession-based side, especially at home. But this time around, that wasn't the case. They were able to just create plenty of opportunities, both from set pieces, especially in the first half, where every time they got a corner or a free kick, um, they threatened. Beckles missed a really good chance. Uh, Satiru missed a very, very good one as well. They seemed to basically consistently be able to get one of their players heading the ball on the goal line. They just couldn't actually head the ball into the goal. <laughs> yeah. um, Dimitri Mitchell scored a, a very, very good goal. Um, a proper, like, you know, it was it was a, a rare foray forward kind of shot where he had to take it on and, and the finish was superb. And for Orient at that point, having been the better team, having gone into halftime, probably knowing if they, if they were to continue in that vein, they would win the game. I think to have the setback straight after halftime, but then to come back and score twice uh, through Joe Piggott and uh, Ross Sotiriou is... Um, yeah, it'll give them a lot of belief. It was a, a brilliant finish from Sotiriou from distance. I think in Piggott, you've got a, a player who, who suits, I think, what basically a, a team at the bottom end of League One are going to need very well. He's very good at holding the ball up. He might not be the most athletic, but he, we know that he's got an eye for goal and can score goals in teams that don't create too many chances. But here, Orient absolutely did. Um, and when you consider you know, the, the players that Exeter have lost, as you say, with Sonny Cox leading the line, um, when the the kind of senior players they had doing so with Nombe having left now as well. Um it, it it does feel to me very, very hard to see Exeter maintaining the kind of level of form they've seen from them early in the season. And um 
But for Orient, I, I don't necessarily know where this came from. They weren't aside last season who picked up loads of points away from home either. Um, but this was their best performance that they put in by, so far this season by a long way. Um, so, yeah, looking things are certainly looking up for them. Definitely. I mean, it was a 3-5-2, which is not something I associate Richie Wellens with. He had Archibald uh, on the left side at left wing back. Maybe it was all Paul Terry. Maybe it was. Maybe all Richie Paul Terry. was like, you know, you 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 go for it, Paul. Oh, because Wellens had taken the blame for the Stevenage defeat, saying he picked the wrong team and he just he went with the same team that had won against yeah. Cambridge, and that was the wrong thing to do because Stevenage were going to offer something different. And sure enough, they're they're two 0 down in the first half from two set piece goals. So maybe he did say, you know what, Paul, I'm banned for this one. <laughs> Second game of my touchline ban. Just let him cook, you know. Um, uh, either way, a very hot day. <laughs> either way. It was just cool to see a, a, a real switch in system and for it to s- look like it made complete sense from the very first minute, uh, having Graham and, and Archibald on their natural sides, whipping in good crosses, and then the targets in the middle. Piggott, as you mentioned, probably more physical than I than I previously thought, uh, to be honest, and, and really disrupted Exeter's centre-backs. But then having Satirio and Monker playing off him gives you um, you know people to get on the ball, um, arrive late into the box. I mean, Tom James is the one I want to flag up here because his set pieces an absolute joke he takes corners from the right side left-footed in swingers and every single time put it right on the six-yard box on top of the keeper with big lads there from the other side he takes them right-footed he's naturally right-footed and he has a massive long throw as well it's like unbelievable value that you get from having a player like that and I can't I long term this is the pod no I'm obsessed with (laughs) two-footedness so a player in league one taking corners with both feet and not just doing it for show but because it's the right option and they can actually do it. I mean, that is just unbelievable. So it was a great day. I mean, we could talk about Orient all day because I was obviously quite a, quite across that one. Um, but just a word on Exeter because probably more important than the result here, to be honest, was they were celebrating 20 years of uh, supporters' trust ownership. It's something they are rightly incredibly proud of and it's something that we admire so much. Um, you know, they, on the day of the 20th anniversary, they were top of League One with a renovated St. James Park and a brand new training ground. Uh, and the supporters are, are such a big part of it and they feel such a big part of it. You, you see a 16-year-old starting his first game on the Saturday. Um, it, it's, it's a special club, uh, it really is. And um, it was nice to read on their site uh, what the supporters had voted as their best achievements in the last 20 years. So uh, they were saving the academy in 2003, taking majority shareholding of the club, developing key academy talent to international standard, Watkins and Ampadu, of course, most famously, in the last decade, uh, overseeing the building of the Adam Stansfield stand and St. James Road stand end, three promotions and five trips to Wembley, signing a lease to stay at St. James Park until 2046. Um, there are quite a few others in there as well. So uh, definitely... Um, wanted to mark that and say congratulations to Exeter City for an amazing 20 years and hopefully it will sustain. Hopefully we see 20 more years of supported trust ownership and Exeter City uh, thriving. Before we move on, okay. because there's a lot on one game, I have to talk to you about Dimitri Mitchell. Because he was Exeter's best player by miles. He's having a great season. He's really quick, good dribbler, goal threat, playing really well. He's also, out of nowhere become the most entertaining Twitter follow of the whole Why haven't you told me this EFL already? player pool because I wanted to talk to you about it on the pod. You don't need to search because okay. I'm going to read some stuff out to you. Fine. Just from Dimitri Mitchell's Twitter from the last week. His thing is like, why should players not be able to tweet like normal people? Good. And he's walking the walk, right? So um, this is a poll. How many days would you go not cutting any hair on your body 
for 100 quid a day. Nought, 30 days, one year, or forever. 100 quid a day, but you can't cut or shave any hair on your body. What are the options again? Nought, so you wouldn't yeah. consider it because it's not worth it. 30 days, give it a go for a month, um, earn 3K, yeah. one year, or forever. Forever is wild. <laughs> Uh, I think I'd do a month. Yeah, I'm interested in, in the year because 36.5k annual revenue stream added for no extra work, basically. Yeah, that is good. Um, TV work would likely come off the agenda uh, quite quickly. Well, to... already has. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just what we need to get back on yeah. TV. <laughs> Pods would be fine. Uh, so that was an interesting one. Uh, other highlights have been, uh, would you rather... £100 for every mile you run. Why does he love £100 so much? Or £1 for every mile you drive. <laughs> what? So, what, 100 quid for every mile you run. Definitely, definitely that one. Because it's like a, it's a... Incentive. Incentive to get fit. Compound benefits from I that. I don't get in the car. I also like without the environment. Well, gl- glad that I'm podding with someone with such a strong moral conscience. Thank you. Uh, he also said... Um, Loads of other stuff. Uh, we need to move on, but Dimitri Mitchell... Have you seen what his um, bio is? Go on. A footballer with personality. Nice. It's a shame that it seems a little bit... Uh, what's the word? Like, it's it's almost going a bit too hard at it. This is quite funny. Who are you picking? Another poll. Prime Neymar or Mbappe? <laughs> he's given it a second, then he's just gone, if he picks Mbappe, give your head a wobble. <laughs> well, we haven't seen Prime Mbappe yet, so... That's a great question. I mean, quite, the World Cup was quite good. George, Stevenage drew 2-2 with Carlisle. Yes. And, I mean, to all intents... What does Dimitri Mitchell think? <laughs> what does Dimitri Mitchell think? Probably thinks Stevenage dominated this, but didn't win it. He would be correct then, because, um, yeah, this was very, very um, against the run of play in terms of, of Stevenage not winning the game. Uh, they deserved to. It was, you know, they've been so impressive already this season. There was no difference... In my mind, uh, around this game, um, Sean Maguire's equaliser was uh, Carlisle's first shot in the game after 20 minutes, after Jamie Reid had put Stevenage 1-0 up. Um, not often that you see uh, Stevenage conceding from a set piece, uh, but that's what happened for the very, very late equaliser from Joe Garner at the back post. So Carlisle only had two shots, oh, sorry, three shots in the game, scored with two of them um, for Stevenage. It was what you normally come to expect from them. Um, you know, they created a fair bit from set-piece situations. Um, Reed missed a chance to make it 3-1 to, to get his hat-trick. Um, he was a, a, a brilliant player throughout the game. Kane Hemmings came on, who's just signed Stevenage from Tranmere. Like they've, they're adding pretty good attacking options to what they've already got there, plus their obvious set-piece proficiency. So, yeah, this was another occasion where Stevenage had been better than their opposition in a League One game. Um, but unlike other ones already this season, they they didn't win this one because of a a late, an undeserved, albeit you know it's a, a an impressive point for Carlisle. I think at this stage to go to Stevenage and get something. I reckon Stevenage get something like 0.4 goals head start per <laughs> game from Carl Piagiani's head. Yeah. Last week against Leighton Orient, he heads on a free kick and Sweeney scores. This week. Against Carlisle, he heads on a free kick and Reed scores. He also hit the bar with a header. He forced a good save out of the keeper with a header. Like the extent to which he can get first contact on basically any type of delivery and 
has this great ability to know when it's worth heading it at the goal and try and scoring or heading it on to teammates, some of whom clearly have a good instinct as to what sort of runs to make. I mean, it's so difficult to defend against. Um, Jamie Reid also looking very menacing, I would say. He's, he's 29 now, Jamie Reid. This is the highest level he's ever played at. And yeah, timing is, runs well, looks powerful, um, some good strikes as well, and, uh, and scoring goals. So Stephen is dominating, but not winning. Before we move on to League Two, I want to ask just for a little bit of spice for the League One fans listening. Don't have to be a long overview, but I'm going to frame it as there's five points between the top 14 teams in League One right now. So clearly, this league table has not yet taken shape. It's like when a dog jumps into a lake and just before it shakes itself out to just dry itself off, Settle and calm down. I wish the listeners could have seen you shaking there. It's just saturated and it's hard to read it right now and come up with definitive opinions. But that is also kind of our job. So who do you find interesting at the moment in League One? Or maybe I could frame it as who do you think might be in the top few positions in another six or seven games? I think Bolton look to be the most um, rock solid side from those at the top of the table. And it'd be a massive surprise if they're not there. I think Pompey had maybe been a bit better than I thought they were going to be. I, I wasn't necessarily sure that I... Um, there was a lot of buzz around their transfers. I didn't really necessarily see it, but they've only conceded two goals in six games and John Massinho looks to be growing into the role. I think Oxford are, are a good side who um, you know, quite easily uh, will continue to improve under Liam Manning as this kind of campaign goes on. And I'd be surprised if, if they're not there or thereabouts as well. Um Otherwise, you know, I, th- I think Derby have been fairly disappointing uh, and I wouldn't be overly bullish that they'll be able to, uh, you know, convert their star into a, you know, a, a more consistent challenge towards the top end. But I do think Peterborough are interesting and I know that they, you know, we'll see what happens with Clark Harris if he'll now be kind of eased back into the reckoning. You would assume that he will be, like given that he was playing in the, to start the season when he was transfer listed, I'm sure that with his move having fallen through, maybe he'll go in January, but between now and, and, and January, I'm sure he'll lead the line again. Uh, and I think they've started the season pretty well. They were unfortunate in their in their um, defeat against um, Derby. Yeah, they weren't great against P- Pompey last time, but I, I still think Posh may be a side who are being slept on a bit. So they're, they're, And obviously Stevenage are quite clearly the, the surprise package so far, um, whose who's form to me looks a bit more sustainable than, for example, Exeter's. I'm still on the, the Blackpool train. I mean, they're 12th at the moment. They've only scored four goals in six games. So I, I, I dare say there aren't that many people who have got on the Blackpool train since the start of the season. Um, but I'm seeing what I what I needed to see. I think overall, Critchley is doing what I thought he was going to do in, in terms of getting the team sorted out of possession first, getting a really repeatable game plan. Um, there's been some issues with confidence at the back, no doubt, uh, and clearly some in front of goal as well, hence why they haven't scored very many. But um, I think that the that the this team has some sort of longevity, I think, over the course of the season. So I'm still looking at them. And then, of course, Stevenage, we've been mightily impressed with. I've no doubt, and we've both said it, that right now they are playing among the best of any team in League One. Um, I guess we have that concern as to whether that has legs over 46 games after what happened last season in particular. Um, and Port Vale obviously going very, very well. Hard not to be pretty impressed with them, um, particularly out of possession and doing enough to score enough goals at the moment. But I would worry about them going forward uh, in the long term. I'd say the same about Lincoln from what I've seen so far. They've obviously been very impressive, lost on opening day. Since then, they've won uh, three and the two games they've drawn, they've conceded late, late goals. Um, so could easily have had more points, Lincoln. Just doing a bit more digging on them recently, I think 
undeniably very strong team out of possession, doing a really good job, and Mark Kennedy should take a lot of credit for that. I still don't think they have found a consistent attacking style that sees them create chances. They are good on the counter-attack, but they're not it's not a high volume of counterattacks that's constantly hurting the opposition. And uh, from set-piece situations, they've got a little bit so far. From from other open-play situations, I think they, they've still got a bit of a way to go. So, um, yeah, those are some teams to, to touch on. And sorry if we haven't touched on the team that you were hoping us to, but just thought it'd be a fun way to end the League One segment. Um, <laughs> and now it's time for League Two. I'm, I'm so in love with League Two at the moment. We we've, we were excited pre-season about the shark-infested waters. Um, do sharks worry about Mondays? No. Too busy going around, you know, eating stuff. Um, League Two's carnage. Almost three goals a game so far. Every single week, there's some bonkers scorelines, and, and most of them come in Swindon Town games. I never... Like, I, I don't understand... You know, we did a podcast with Tifo last week that went out on went out this morning actually. So if you if you haven't gotten your your fill of us this week, go make sure you go and check that out. But part of the conversation within that was around like the identity of leagues, and I think it's just one of those things that sometimes you have to just accept ha- does exist. And this season, for whatever reason, it feels like League Two is a high scoring league. I, I can't work out why year on year that would change. Um, I guess when you have a lot of attacking sides in a in a, in a league, um, then that's going to happen. But whether or not it's going to regress back towards a mean or we're going to see this consistently over the course of the season, who knows? But it is unbelievably entertaining. And as you say, in Swindon Town, you've got the league's big entertainers. Um, a 5-3 win at home to Sutton. Jake Young, the player who spent most of last season on loan at Barrow from Bradford and didn't score a single league goal is up to nine now. Um, Bradford have scored five themselves. Unbelievable. Um, <laughs> there's a, a really great moment in this game where Jake Young's second goal puts Swindon 3-0 up after 23 minutes. And it comes after Charlie Austin just seemed unable to work out where the ball was in the six-yard box, even though it was kind of at his feet. He couldn't scramble at home. Jake Young scored and then both Young and Austin basically collapse into laughter, which I've never seen before on a football pitch. Um, and, and you can understand why they would do, given they were three 0 up after after twenty three minutes. But pretty quickly after that, Sutton played their way back into it with uh, Clay and Goodliffe getting the two goals, and the second half just descended into kind of uh, not fast, but just very end to end with both teams um, scoring more goals. Dan Kemp scored, who's again I think has had an incredible start to the season. If you Young is always going to take the headlines because of his goal scoring exploits, but I think Kemp has been such a good addition. Maybe alongside Young for being the, the best signing so far in terms of what players have actually delivered. And then Russian Heather Murphy. He's waiting scoring. in the wings, isn't he? Yeah, it? he is. I mean, they've got so many options now and it does feel like Swindon are, you know, their games have to calm down a little bit and I think they are quite clearly, um, you know, fairly, what you, fairly porous at the back. 21% conversion rate with their shots so far this season, which yeah. is going to come down. Exactly. That d- doesn't mean they'll stop scoring entirely because they, they are still creating plenty. Yeah. Not yeah. going to be five every game. No. I mean, there must have been a moment here at 5-3 where suddenly their fans are thinking, surely not again. Um, <laughs> when Harry Smith missed a decent chance just after um, 90 minutes. But yeah, they, you know, for, for Sutton, it's been... As, as kind of bad a start, I guess, as, as, as you could have thought. Like they um, are, are really struggling to, to to kind of form any kind of discernible style of play. Their defensive record in the last couple of seasons has been so good, yet they are incapable at the moment of, of not conceding chances. Um, so concern for them. But yeah, for Swindon, they've 
started the season absolutely on fire. The recruitment looks really good. Flynn has quite clearly got a buy-in from this group of players. And right now, there aren't many teams you think are better than them in, in League Two. Sutton have lost six league games in a row after that opening day win against Notts County. It's pretty crazy, really. And they just, as you say, defensively, you always felt like you could rely on a pretty strong structure. But the extent to which it's it's breaking down at the moment, the extent to which individual errors are costing them, again, it does sort of lead me down the path to thinking that for some reason that that buy-in, that defensive structure has just been chipped away at and that, that is a, a big concern. Um if Swindon, if we're talking about uh, genres of TV or theatre, if Swindon are living farce, that genre at the moment, Gillingham, more like psychological thrillers, okay. where there's not a lot of action and you've got to really stay on top of things. And they are on top of things. Top of League Two, George having scored five goals from seven matches. You know I love an early season league table quirk. In League One, we've got Vale um, being in great shape uh, in the top six with a minus three goal difference. In League Two, it's the fact that league leaders have scored five in seven games. They beat Harrogate 1-0, obviously. Um, And while they had the better of the first half, it wasn't like they were all over them and, and they didn't score. What I really want to know is, can someone who was at Gillingham Harrogate this weekend tell me what the hell happened between minute 49 and minute 94? Wow. Because nothing. from what I'm seeing, there wasn't a shot for either team in 44 minutes of football, which is disgusting. I mean, what has happened there? Um, then in the 94th minute, good old goldmouth scramble smashed in by Sean Williams. And yeah, I'm just I, I'm gonna have to turn to you again because Jills are confusing me. I, I I believe that basically mutiny was on the cards at Priestfield if they hadn't won this game. Fans have had the highest of highs and lowest of lows already. I want to just give everyone a shake and say chill out. But what are we meant to take from this? What are we meant to take from this? As a neutral, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say no sweeping conclusions. Like, well, no, I mean. I think with Gillingham, there is a clear issue in terms of creating chances from open play. Like if you look at this game in itself, the majority of shots that came from Gillingham were from set pieces or from corners. As you mentioned, they didn't have a shot in open play in the second half until the 104th minute. (laughs) So, um, which in itself, I guess, actually answers your question, where there must have been a long stoppage, which might in in part explain the the reason why nothing happened for so long. Um, But they play against Harrogate, you know, this was against the Harrogate side who have been pretty poor this season, whose defensive record is not great, who struggled to create too much. And that played out here you know Harrogate only had five shots in the game they didn't really trouble Gillingham at all it felt like a case of either this is going to be nil-nil or Gillingham are going to score a goal and Sean Williams managed to um, prod home on the goal line uh, after 94 minutes to win the game like I I still basically maintain what I've said about Gillingham over the last few weeks where they might be top of the league now I, I just don't think there's any way unless they improve that they will continue to be as high in the league as they are because they don't dominate teams um, and I think that is normally like in the respect that Orient last season I guess often didn't but they were able to consistently 
um, create enough chances you would you could see them always getting three points with, with Jills. I just still c- I'm concerned that especially in open play they're un- unable to do that. I and mean, when you consider the, the couple of defeats recently, I'm not so sure. Um, like here against Harrogate, you would anticipate that a team with genuine aspirations to be towards the top end of the table on merit would, you know, make their uh, superiority show much much more clearly. I am really concerned for Harrogate. I, I think they. Um, just kind of in every facet are really struggling at the moment, both in terms of going forward and and goal scoring. Luke Armstrong is still there, but he's not really amongst the goals at the moment. It's really hard, I think, to be in any way positive about them uh, right now. Um, albeit, had they managed to just hold on for a bit longer in this one, it would have been a very good point. Still no goals from open play? Still no goals from open play. Okay. Crawley scored... Four goals from open play off the top of my head in their 4-1 win against Newport. Some cracking strikes in this one. Um, Whether it's Ben Gladwin with a late laser into the corner, but more specifically, Adam Campbell with two great strikes. Uh, One was a sort of really sweetly struck half volley on the rebound from another shot, uh, which flew in. uh, And then his second was a, a beauty, the perfect camera angle for it as he dipped inside the defender, used him as a shield and just posted it, curled it into the far top corner. Uh, I, Campbell interests me a lot because he made a couple of Premier League appearances for Newcastle when he was really young. He was very highly rated. We're talking like 2013. And his career from that point was dropping like a stone, I'm afraid, you have to say. He... he Dropped down a fair bit and played for Knotts in League Two and then Morecambe in League Two. And then he dropped further again um, and he sort of went back towards the northeast. So he played for Darlington for a couple of seasons and then he played for Gateshead for a couple of seasons. And I, I think he really got his swagger back under Mike Williamson at Gateshead. Now, Williamson's a really interesting manager, someone that really came up strong on our radar at the back end of last season after what he did with Gateshead playing a fantastic brand of football. Um, players like Camille Conte, who's now at Grimsby, and Adam Campbell, Owen Bailey, who's at Doncaster, uh, all got moves off the back of what you have to say was you know, partially great management from Williamson. But Campbell looks quite like technically quality in a team now with Liam Kelly, Ben Gladwin, Ronan Darcy. Every little and large midfield duo, those two. Yeah, I, I still can't believe that all of this is working so well for Crawley, but it is. Yeah, and, and I think it felt to me like Crawley we were kind of a prime suspect to be a flash in the pan early early doors and then as things kind of go a bit go a bit beyond that they struggle and i think the back to back defeats against Gillingham and then the you know including the 6-0 loss against Swindon suggests that might be the case um and i was worried that i'd gone a bit early in saying hold on i think they're going to be okay but a three all draw at stockport is in itself a very impressive performance a four one win over newport who've started the season so well is two they do feel to me to be a team that in any game under Scott Lindsay, they are able to create goal-scoring opportunities. And that is in itself normally enough to keep you out of trouble, especially in League Two, where the quality towards the bottom is is so poor. Like to score seven goals against Stockport and Newport in the last two games is impressive. They host Tranmere next up, who are a team we'll talk about in a second um, for their own managerial reasons. But I think Lindsay has done an unbelievable job. Like I know, I know that it's not often um, that you know awards will get handed out to managers um, you know, who have like a, a middling record, especially when that gets beaten six 0 But I think Lindsay is probably doing pound for pound as good a job as anyone in League Two, given where we th- saw Crawley, where they were last season. Like I, I am 
amazed and impressed that they are such a fun- functioning attacking side. Yes, they still can see chances and they, and they will do. But it seems like Lindsay's looked at this squad and thought to himself, the best way that we are going to pick up points is to make these games as open and as end-to-end as possible and hope that we have enough quality to punish teams. And here against Newport, they absolutely did. I'm still... Because I've developed this opinion that the best way to win promotion in League Two and thrive in League Two is basically by building from the back first, being the team... You can't see past your <laughs> Being the team that keeps zeros and ones in the goals against column rather than goes for all guns blazing for shootouts and, and banks on themselves being on the right side of it. I'm still finding this season quite confusing because of the amount of teams going down the all guns blazing route. Uh, Crawley and Swindon, of course, but even... Wrexham and Notts County and Mansfield and Stockport. It's uh, it's freaking me out a bit. But, um, you know... Basically, this was a terrible summer to sit down and be like, to get out of League Two, you just have to kind of, you know, be solid. It's way too early to say that. No, no, no. Why don't we say I that know. after 46? No, no. All I'm saying is it's just, it, it is amusing that this has happened this season where it suddenly it looks like everyone has decided to tear it up and do things a different way. Well, I think it's amusing that you're an idiot. I'm trying to stick up for you. <laughs> I'm trying to say... I've misread you, that. Yeah. I've misread it. Um, Dan, who's a Crawley fan, uh, wrote a great letter to us on the Substack, which went into the weekend notes post this morning. Um, he wanted to, to single out two players. Uh, Liam Kelly, who's always been a favourite of mine. Uh, one of my funnier NTT20 moments, looking back on it, was when we had a, a very short-lived website uh, where we were doing some written stuff many, many years ago. And you wrote loads of really good and interesting pieces about young managers. And I decided my first piece should be a 5,000 word scouting report on Liam Kelly. Um, and um, and what, a, what a strange few years. Uh, Feyenoord read it and they bought him. Feyenoord read it and they bought him. Yeah. Cheers. Um, but where am I going with that? Yes, it's nice to see him um, settled and, and seemingly thriving. Um, he's got that lovely passing range and technical ability, but he's he's doing a good job uh, in in out of possession stuff as well. But a name that I wanted to bring up on the pod, thanks to Dan really, um, and one that we probably haven't said yet on this pod is Jay Williams. Uh, Jay Williams, twenty two year old, signed uh, this summer, and I should have done this research beforehand. But what's happened here? Because he <laughs> played last season for Banbury United. Yeah. So your uh, former Yellows favourite, Wingy, will have mm-hmm. known him. James yeah. Constable, they'd have probably managed him. 2001 to 2020. Yeah. Sorry, 21 to 23, two years. Then in June, he signed for Brackley. And then in July, he signed for Crawley <laughs> without ever having played for Brackley. So not quite sure of the ins and outs of that, but that's distracting me from what I really <laughs> wanted to say, which is that uh, in the words of Dan, and I'm quoting him here, um, it seems we've uncovered a unicorn of a player from the depths of the of the sixth tier. He's comfortable putting his body on the line uh, when Newport threatened, but also constantly made himself a passing outlet to the back four of Adai, Maguire, Ransom and Wright. It strikes me as a skill set that could translate even higher up the pyramid, given how vital he's been to our play this season. Um, it could be the transfer that transforms our season. So there you go. I think in our 1-24s, to I said, ooh, Crawley assigned loads of players from non-league and I'm a bit nervous about that, not because non-league doesn't have some talent and some gems, but that... I wouldn't be sure that Crawley have the best non-league scouting uh, vision. Might have been wrong there. Turns out you should have found out their non-league scout was. Forest Green 1, Crew 4. I mean, Crew fans are loving life right now. And why wouldn't they be? Because a pretty horrendous two years, you have to say, from League 1 relegation and then a, a poor season last season. Um, this second half FC stuff is is 
insane. Just masters of the art of false security. <laughs> just consistently letting the opposition go ahead. Let me give the stats and then you can give your thoughts. Right. Smokey Tim Robbo, legend of the squad, legend of the Crew Alex fan base. Uh, he's tweeted the stats. In the second halves of games in 23-24, Crew, 1-6, drawn 1, lost none. Uh, goals for 15, goals against 2. Uh, and their second half stats are an absolute joke. Of course, the flip side of this is their first half stats, where Crew have in seven games uh, been behind at halftime in six of seven, and they were drawing the other. They've scored two goals and conceded nine in the first half of games. George, you know this stuff freaks my nut. I can't make head or tail of it, so I hope you've got something. Not really. Um, they just seem to be a side who maybe enjoy. Um the well currently there's obviously a feeling within the within the group that they're never beaten and I think sometimes you can kind of start to relish that and, and that was the case I mean in, again in fairness Forest Green weren't much better than um than crew when when Forest Green went ahead uh with Reese Brown um kind of scoring from like the third phase of a corner um prior to that crew themselves had created chances there hadn't been that many chances within the game um, but in the second half, they came out and immediately started scoring with every shot. And sometimes that's just seemingly what happens. You know, Chris Long getting the first one. Courtney Baker-Richardson was a constant threat and he's got a couple of, of decent goals from set pieces before Elliot Nevitt made the point safe and suddenly they win 4-1. Um, it is weird. It, it's probably not going to continue to happen um, over the course of, of the whole season. But right now, there must be something in the psychology of the group that they feel like they're never beaten and that is it makes them a, a good watch but yeah is it is it going to be able to uh be a cornerstone for a successful season we will see but you know at the moment they have so they create chances so easily that maybe it'll just be the case where they start going ahead in games rather than always having to come from behind because right now they do look like a decent side yeah nice to see Youngster Joel Taberner really, really cement his place in the team, uh, which he did so back end of last season, uh, and now kind of thriving uh, with the the development minutes that he's had. Uh, nice technical attacking midfielder type, um, but the goals all being scored by their strikers: Long, Baker Richardson, and Nevitt. Um, I've been buying Courtney Baker Richardson stock for about eighteen months now, and through annoying injuries, it's not the sort of uh, um, by that has seen great returns yet, but I'm seriously bullish. Um, and he looks pretty bullish as well, celebrating one of his goals by sort of striding over to the away fans, just pointing at himself. Yeah, it's me, Courtney Baker Richardson, and I'm the best player you've ever seen. Um, I've seen it suggested that maybe uh, as, as sort of reasoning for this second half FC stuff, maybe they're fitter than everyone else. I, there could be something in that. I think it would be unusual for any team in a 24-team league, to be so much fitter than all the other teams who are all broadly doing the same sort of training uh, for it to have this much of an impact. Um, but there, there it certainly could be something in that. I've also had it suggested that they've got a particularly strong bench, which just from my perception of uh, looking at all the squads and all the benches in this 24-team league, personally, I don't think it's any stronger than most teams at the level. Now, that's not a criticism it's probably a compliment to Lee Bell and those players that they come on knowing their jobs. They know what to do and how to impact the game. So I guess in that sense, it's been a strong bench so far, but individually as names, like this isn't, well, let's talk about Mansfield. Their bench this weekend was pretty insane, George, and their goals even more insane in a 3-0 win at Accrington. So I was away this weekend. 
and was so basically on Saturday was kind of on top of scores but not, not much else and had to catch up uh, over yesterday and this morning but I was sent this call um, at a time where let's just say we've been having some fun for quite a long time in the day uh, and I was quite <laughs> merry and I couldn't really believe what I was seeing um, just unbelievable and that's D- Davis Keeler Dunn's goal no I'm joking Davis Keeler Dunn um, yeah, I mean, Keeler Dunn scores a, an overhead kick, I think we have to call it. Like, the ball's fired into him. It's a first touch that I think um, he doesn't mean to flick up in the air, but as soon as it does go up, he has the presence of mind and the skill to reposition his body and fire it into the top corner. And what I really loved is it, for some reason, it felt like he didn't realise it had gone in until it got up, which I don't really understand, given the, the away fans. Uh, you know, the jubilant away fans. Nigel Clough said after the game that he, of the three goals, it's such a classic manager of comment this. That, Mar- that Maris's was the best of the three because of the team move. Amazing, um, amazing. It God, was so perfect. I know. It was <laughs> a, um, a, a, you know, a lovely finish and it was a good move. And that was... It's like when a team wins 7-0 and the manager goes like, well, I want to start by talking about the defence today. Um, yeah. I think keep me a clean sheet. Uh, that's that's probably what I'm most happy with. Yeah. Um, Shut up. It was their first two shots of the game as well um, for Mansfield. Uh, and Accrington's games follow suit, where they often create a lot of chances, concede a lot of chances. And this time around, it was Mansfield's time to have a good time in front of goal. But what came next? I don't think anyone could have foreseen um, one of the most unbelievable goals from, in terms of the first goal you score for your new club, for um, Adam Lewis to score what was just a ridiculously, you know, we talk about unique goals and... Toby Saban in, in goal for, uh, for Accrington clears the ball straight at Lewis. I can't resist, mate. There's no saving those. And there isn't. And, and Lewis hits it on the full with the kind of side of his foot from just inside his own half. And it doesn't just go in. Like This isn't the ball just going into an empty net. This is the ball flying at pace into the top corner. I'd, I mean, I'd love to have seen what would have happened if a goalkeeper had been in the goal for that shot. Um, like an, un, an unbelievable hit. Totally... Like, Easily the best goal we've seen so far this season. One of my favourite ever EFL goals for so many reasons. The aesthetic of the ball and the way it goes in. The, the noise off the boot. The, the visuals of the away end reacting to the ball flying in right in front of them in the most unexpected circumstance. I can, I can guarantee you there will be tens of fans from the Stags <laughs> end who would have missed that goal because when they see the clearance, they're checking their phone to see like you know what's going on elsewhere only to suddenly see the ball flying in. Like, unbelievable goal. Uh, a big win for, for Mansfield, whose good uh, start to the season continues. You know, you mentioned the subs bench there. Cargill, Clark, Williams, Swan, Botang, Flinders and, and John Joe O'Toole, the seven. Like it is, when you consider that they have some pretty serious injuries to key players right now, this is a stacked Mansfield squad who are playing very well. And um, no shame for Accrington to come away second best. They weren't too poor in the game. They've been beaten by three I'll say for, for Nigel three very good goals it's unbelievable the noise of the crowd is just pure ASMR for me <laughs> and frankly your description of it as well is that's that's as good as it gets for Thank me. Thank you very much. The only thing I've got to add is I'm transfixed by Aaron Lewis's hair where 
I can't work out if it's like a tribute to Marilyn Monroe. You're pointing at your screen, which I just can't. I'm, I'm sitting at a right angle to it. So yeah. I don't know how. Okay. Well, you could move your head. Use. You could move the screen. No, because I've got loads of things plugged in. I don't want them to fall out. Yeah. Exactly. Marilyn Monlo- Monroe. Monroe. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess. I mean, I'd like to see what he, how he wears it when he's not playing football. Right. Because. You know, I think Monroe's hair was was fairly <laughs> well maintained, whereas they, right you know, he's, he's got a um, he's got a headband on. Been color wise, yes. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a better footballer comparison, but it's it's a bold look either way. Incredible lid. Um, I've got Marilyn Monroe's quote stuck in my head. If you don't deserve me at my, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. And when Aaron Lewis puts in his first poor performance of the season, he'll be able to point at that goal and pull out a Monroe quote. It also, if it's not a tribute to Marilyn Monroe, it looks a little bit like the hairstyle that people build on their like creator player uh, on FIFA, like pro clubs character. Anyway, um, Colchester 2, Tranmere 0. Wow. George, you know... Out the doors. You know sometimes there'll be like a 4-0 and we'll say, or people will say who watch the game, that it wasn't a 4-0 game though. You know, it you know it wasn't a four 0 game. This was a four 0 game. Here's here's a rare reverse of that, which was a two 0 that absolutely was a four 0 game. Um, potentially the worst performance any team has put in all season, and spells the end of the reign of Ian Dawes as Tranmere manager. Uh, what do you make of the game and the news that Tranmere have sacked Ian Dawes? And his uh, technical director slash mentor slash advisor, Nigel Adkins, um, is going to be bringing the positivity in, as, as far as we know it, an interim reign. I, I think it's impossible to argue against the decision to relieve Ian Dawes as, as, um, of his duties as manager. They were really poor here. Um, and that is, if you look through their, their campaign so far, it's six defeats and a, sol- a solitary win, and that win came at home to Harrogate side, I think you could probably argue have to be in the conversation along with Tranmere for the worst team in the league this season. And the issue is that the performances, I think, have begin have begun to, to get worse. Now, there is definitely a caveat to this, and I'm sure if Ian's listening, he'll be saying, what about the fixtures? And yeah, like when you look at the teams that they've had to play, they've already played Wrexham and Notts County. They've already played Salford, uh, so a team in the playoffs last season. MK Dons, who have topped the table already, like there's no denying that the, the fixtures have been hard for Tranmere, but the manner of the defeats in the last two games, where Wrexham thrashed them 1-0 on the road uh, the Saturday before, Colchester have absolutely dominated them here. And this is a Colchester side who came into this game having only won one game prior, uh, that 3-0 win at Gillingham, which was followed up by a 1-0 loss at, at Walsall. And they've had 29 shots, Colchester. Uh, they've had 11 on target and expected goals of... of like between 3.5 and 4 um, depending on, on your data provider because I feel like when you get to these kind of ones where <laughs> where there are so many shots it often kind of is, can um, be fairly volatile but yeah I mean it was one way traffic and the kind of performance that normally result, results in a change now I'm not necessarily sure there's a great deal to work with when it comes to the squad here um, with Nigel Atkins in charge, like this is the first time that he's ever really had this role. Like if he's going to be appointing the next manager, um, there's no kind of precedent for that. Is, is Atkins going to take the job himself if he starts well? Possibly. Um, but real warning signs, I think, at, at Tramway at the moment. Like we 
how we're pretty low on them in our one to twenty fours, and that was probably of all of our um, predictions, the one that went down the worst with a group of fans who couldn't really understand it. Um, I think right now it's quite hard to argue that they are a club in serious threat of falling out of the football league altogether unless they get this appointment right. Yeah, I feel a bit sorry for Dawes. Um, uh, I like his passion. I like his ideas. The Dawes diamond, etc. Um, did some good things in previous caretaker spells. I honestly think with it with a good set of players, he might be doing a lot better. But that's too many ifs and buts. Really, it's been disastrous. Um, the concern is in a league two where all the favourites for relegation, most of them look half decent actually, and with no as far as we know and touch wood on this, no like basket case clubs that are likely to, to occupy bottom two positions just by dint of being basket case clubs. Um, it's a massive issue for a, a team like Tranmere who may or may not have an idea that they're too big to go down in this league. I mean, surely a team that's already been relegated into the National League once in the last decade or so wouldn't think that, but maybe there is a sense of complacency um, and uh, you know they, they need to turn this around quite quickly. My concern is that, as I said, all through the summer on the 1-24s, I don't think the squad's very good. I think it's been a bad few years of recruitment and I think it's left them with a, a generally a pretty poor squad. I think they've got decent goalkeeper in McGee, uh, good centre-backs, in fairness, in Davis and Turnbull. That's something to, to really build on if you're Adkins. Outside of that... Um, Fairly good wide attackers in Hawks and Morris, but both of them pretty hit and miss, and very rarely do they seem to both perform on the same day. Um, outside of that, I, very little that I like in the squad, um, so a big appointment to come. Or Adkins, maybe if he starts well, the club will be able to say, well, look, we've got an experienced manager already in, getting results, so let's get behind him. Um, I, I think that would be interesting to know how the fan base react to that. Cole, you got the win here. I mean, they'll have been delighted with such a dominant win, uh, having lost all but one of their games so far this season before this one. Nice take from Joe Taylor uh, on loan from Luton. Just looks like watching his goal so far, I'm very confident he's going to score quite a few in League Two this season because he's really quick and he is very, very comfortable finishing chances. And that's a very nice combination in, in League Two. He's, he's so small that championship level league one level you know physicality might be an issue for him but having dropped down on loan from Luton he certainly looks more than comfortable enough scoring goals in in this team uh we can talk about Cameron McGeehan who they picked up on a free um after the window closed eye-catching signing not quite sure what McGeehan's level is after a few years in in, uh in Europe but uh if he is as good as I remember him being five six years ago could be a great signing he went straight into the starting 11 but February is the one to talk about again uh Février in September, as they say. Uh, très, très bien, le winger. Um, sort of like they're not going to miss Junior Chamado if Jaden Février, albeit on the other side, can be as explosive, mm. skillful, and create so many chances from his 1v1 ability, getting to the byline, getting crosses in. Yeah, and, for sh- And Ian Vian scored. Yes, who I've just seen as being linked to a host of Premier League and Championship clubs. Wow, it uh, didn't take long. No, I know. What happens when you score goals when you're young? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, their squad is fun. Like, I, I do think Ben Garner has a, a really interesting blend of youth and experience and talent here to, to work with. Like, it felt like a year or so ago, it was kind of Noah Chilvers and Chamado and there was very little else to kind of really point at. And, and the Ipswich lads, the old, all the old Ipswich lads. Yeah, exactly. Um, whereas now... You've got a crop of youngsters who look very exciting to add to, you know, some proven quality there. I think the McGeehan signing is really interesting. Like this is a guy who 
when he left to um, for Belgium, he was at Barnsley. He just had a loan spell at Pompey. Like uh, it, it feels a bit strange. He's gone away for a couple of seasons and now has had to come back and take a take a League, League Two club. Like he should be of a higher quality. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it, it, it feels like things are, are starting to click for Ghana uh, and um, and yeah with with every week that these guys get minutes into their um, into their boots. Do you get minutes into your boots? Yeah, you've got, well, you have to get minutes into your boots. Otherwise, you're not ready to hit the ground running. There you go. And they are running now. <laughs> minutes into the legs. They, they weren't, yes, thank you. It's they, important for the group to get minutes into their legs. Correct. Is what a manager would say. Minutes into their boots. <laughs> so that we can have some good moments this season. Fine. In and out of possession. Yes. All, all of that is how I feel about Cole Hugh. <laughs> Stockport won at Wimbledon, George, uh, by two goals to one. Uh, Davison scored... Uh, more sloppy defending for from Stockport, unusually poor, or rather surprisingly poor, as we've said a lot this season, based on their incredible defensive numbers uh, in the second half of last season. Uh, corner went all the way through and Davison stabbed it in. Um, but then they got their act together. Uh, Louis Barry, Will Collar scoring to win this one for Stockport. Um, better side, I think, in the second half. Uh, Barry had equalised with a trademark finish. Left channel cutting in, uh, firing home. And then Collar... Nice little late run into the box, getting on a, a cutback to sweep home. Yeah, Stockport starting to um, show some signs that I think they are trending back in the right direction. It, it, it feels like even though you know, Dave Challenger is still the manager and, and a lot of the playing staff have remained the same, there's been a shift in, in what kind of the means that Stockport are trying to um, win games where it feels like the handbrake's been let off a little bit and early on in the campaign that resulted in um, some, well, just some kind of a poor defensive record. And even as recently as the three-all draw against Crawley, we've seen that. Um, but as certain players begin to hit form, and I think in, in Louis Barry, they have one of the most exciting um, front players or attacking players in the league. Um, and his link up with Oluafe, with Nick Powell, with Sarsovic, like there's a lot of them. And of course, Kolo had such a good season last season. That is a very interesting blend of, of different um, effective attacking players for the level. So, yeah, the, the season didn't get off to a great start. We had them first and on to 24s. I still think that is probably a, a quite a likely area where they're going to end up finishing. And given how good AFC Wimbledon have been this season, and I think they're just genuinely a very good side, this is a, a big three points. And and one where we, we've seen that Stockport have been, you know, data darlings in this league for a while, but starting to put some... Uh, you know, in, with results like this, we saw in the second half of last season how good they can be. If they can hit their stride a bit earlier, then then it shouldn't take them too long to be back amongst those at the top end. Yeah, same scoreline at Salford. 2-1 to the away team, Walsall. Uh, Salford, to be fair, the better team in the first half and we're in front through Matt Smith. But the second half all changed, George, in the, in the sort of way that happens when a team is very, very low on confidence and has had a really poor start to the season and maybe is not feeling very sure of themselves because Walsall flew into life in the second half. Uh, they started pressing Salford a lot more. Ben from NTT20 squad was at the game and sent some really good notes on it. Um, love getting the, the reports from people who go to games on the squad. is such a valuable thing for us. Um, changing formation uh, from Matt Sadler at halftime. Salford couldn't deal with the press from midfield. Tierney sat on, on Mallon, who I think had basically been running the game in the first half, and it stopped all of Salford's uh, attacking output. Um, Evans 
in fairness, in the Salford goal, did have to make two good saves late on to keep Walsall ahead. He did the same last week against Colchester to, to see out that one. So Evans certainly doing his job. Um, I want to talk about Freddie Draper. Salford, no, Walsall striker on loan from Lincoln. Um, Ben's note from the game, and Ben's not not a fan of Walsall, so there's no, uh, you know, it's a neutral opinion. Draper, he's a star. 19 years old and had Tilt and Vassell battling all game. Looks like he has everything you need to be a lone nine. Physicality, quick feet, pace. Walsall would not have won this game without him. Very exciting. It's not the first or second time that we've been excited watching Freddie Draper playing up front for Walsall. Matt Sadler clearly loves him because DJ Danny Johnson's out the team at the moment. He wants to go with Draper and Jamil Matt. Um, He's like if a rugby player... So direct. (laughs) And a ballet dancer had a son. Amazingly, I, I searched through our Twitter and someone called Matt tweeted us in August 2021, a Lincoln fan, of course, Draper is a Lincoln player, saying he thought Draper would have a big year and amazingly that he reminds him of Jeff Horsfield. Wow, <laughs> that is so good. That's my type of player comparison. Um, he does the Robbie Keane celebration, but sort of in a much lower quality way. That's a nice touch. Um, and, you know, he's a Lincoln player, but Walsall fans loving him. Yeah, he, he was the one, obvious one that stood out to me as well, um, watching it back. Um uh, showed some good feet in the box at one point, skipping away from a couple of challenges before having a shot saved. Um, yeah, he looks impressive. It feels like there's a few uh, young strikers on loan in League Two who are impressing at the moment. Um, but Draper certainly won. And with Walsall, you know, another side who started the season quite slowly who are now coming up to speed. Got to be really concerned about Salford right now. Um, I wonder if Neil Wood is going to be... Um, I think questions are probably going to be asked about his tenure and whether or not he's the person that they'll stick with going forward especially given how Salford have operated in the past managers although it does feel like there's a willingness within Salford to try and change that and, and to not be a sacking club but um, yeah I mean, it's basically since the first ball was kicked this season they've been poor they were, they were a bit better as you say in the first half but second half um, trying to sit on a lead and, and, and squandering it at home to a side who haven't kind of pulled up any trees this season is uh, yeah a big worry but um, yeah, Draper the star certainly for Walsall. And because it's that sort of week for us, we can expand a little bit more. I'm going to read out one more thing about Freddie Draper uh, because some of the reviews we got from him from David Judge, who's a, an Irish football expert uh, who is on NTT20 squad and provides incredible updates and, and insight on Irish football and particularly EFL loanees out in Ireland or the Irish players that are set to move over uh, to EFL clubs. Um he was on loan at Drawheader, um, Draper, in the first half of 2023, and David described him as the undisputed star of this season's loanies. Bustling, direct centre-forward with six goals to his name. Seasoned League of Ireland defenders have found the teenager impossible to handle. Progressed so much during his time at Drawheader. Arrived as a boy, left as a man. He's thriving for Walsall now, and Lincoln must be looking at him, knowing that they play a, a transition style where his level of physicality, mobility and technical skill would absolutely thrive in their system and um, probably can't wait for January the 1st to recall him. Uh, Wrexham beat Doncaster 2-1. One of those games George, where Wrexham had it, it was probably a 2-1 game on the balance of play and yet Wrexham's goals, both of them heavily deflected and you can't help but feel a bit bad for Doncaster um, 
Young with the first one and then Elliot Lee winning it for them. Uh, both goals heavily deflected. We also saw the return of Paul Mullin from his injury. Uh, came off the bench here for his first minutes of the season. Big moment for Wrexham. Uh, last seen at this level, scoring 32 goals out of nowhere for Mark Bonner's Cambridge, having never scored more than nine in a league season. And since then has scored 64 league goals <laughs> in the National League. So 96 goals in three years. Is that that's, unbelievable? That's good, isn't it? Mm. That is a good record. As for Donny, I feel a bit bad because I'm not really sure this is the the game after which you go doom and gloom. Uh, there's been a good piece on, on Doncaster written by Daniel Storey uh, today, kind of focusing more on the off-the-pitch stuff. What I will say is some stats so that we can extend sympathy to any Donny fans in our life. Um... Doncaster have won only one of their last 18 league games. Four draws, 13 defeats, one win. So seven points from their last 18. Did a bit more digging. Because you might remember they were quite good under Darren Moore. And from the 5th of December 2020 until the 8th of February 2021, they won nine games out of 10 in League One. They were right at the top of it. Since then, so since the 8th of Feb 2021... They finished that season with four wins, four draws, seven defeats, 16 points from 15 games, slid down the table. The next season, they were relegated with 38 points from 46 games. The next season, last season in League Two, they got 55 points from 46 games, right down in the bottom quarter of the table. This season, seven league games, no wins, two draws, five points, two points from seven games. So since February the 8th, 2021, so two and a half years broadly, 30 wins, Yay. 21 draws, 63 defeats, 111 points in 114 games. Less than a point per game for two and a half years. Going to need to be a bit of a turnaround there. And I think I think there's still support for Grant McCann, which should hopefully give him the time to, to actually do that. Just on their, the games that they've had this season, in a similar vein to what I was saying a second ago about Tranmere, like they they played Harrogate on opening day at home and, and were beaten 1-0 in a game where they actually played pretty well, um, conceding just a penalty. Since then, they played... If you look at today's table, the teams they've played are currently 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 7th and 13th. So I'd be pretty surprised if there's a team in League 2 who've had, who's had more difficult fixtures between now, at, well, between the beginning of the season and now. And when it's only seven games in, that makes a massive impact. Now, they obviously should well, be... If it's only seven games in, the fact they've all taken three points off Donny is, is going to help with their league position, isn't it? To, to, <laughs> to, to a degree. But I think when you consider those teams are Notts County, Mansfield, MK Dons, Swindon, Wrexham, like these are teams, teams, you know, they they made up the favourites list basically at the beginning of the season for, for promotion. So um, I would, yeah, I would say... and. and they have at home drawn with um, Mansfield and with Amit Swindon, which are both kind of okay results. I'm fairly confident in saying that I I think they will turn it around and, and turn it around quite soon. Like we've seen way more from them. Like even in the game against Everton in the cup where they were the better side for the first half, like there, there are enough signs for me that they will click at some point. With Tranmere, with Harrogate, for example, I'm, I'm not really seeing that. MK and Knotts was first v second, and they drew 1-1, uh, which is a shame. Um, kind of cancelled each other out. There wasn't loads in the game. Both teams had chances outside of their goals. Uh, McScorey Langstaff in particular. Feels like we know basically now that McScorey Langstaff is going to get two big chances a game, 
and seemingly he either scores both of them or, <laughs> or neither of them. Yeah. Uh, and Bradford drew one all with Grimsby. Uh, this one was live on Sky on Saturday, lunchtime. Uh, George, there was like 14 shots in the game, very few on target, incredibly low XG. Not a great one for the neutrals that are tuned in. Um, I'd like to say that I was taken aback by how much better Grimsby were than Bradford in this game, but mm. I wasn't because I picked Grimsby draw no bet on the betting show so unbelievable humble brag that <laughs> even though they didn't even win the well Gilead's 89th minute equaliser was obviously a bit of a sickener in betting show terms it was also a fantastic strike it was also Bradford's only shot between the 68th minute and full time um, so while they did improve in the second half and they had a bit more territory and a bit more sustained territory where in the first half they could barely keep possession of the ball it's not like that was translated into many opportunities until Gilead seized the moment and uh, and got the equaliser. For Grimsby, they've drawn three games, one all this season, and all three of them, they were 1-0 up. So they, they've got to work out a way of seeing games out. But broadly, I'm pretty impressed with Grimsby. Uh, what fun that's been. A big old chat about League One and League Two. I really hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you didn't switch off after the gnocchi slander. Well, you wouldn't be listening to this bit if you have done. So well done for making it this far. Um, Really hope you've enjoyed the show. Please do sign up uh, to the EFL newsletter by NTT20 at ntt20.com. We've got loads of good stuff planned and we're really pleased with how it's going so far. We're very proud of it uh, and we think and we hope we're providing a really good uh, product for the people who are paying for it as paid subscribers. It's about £1.38p a week to get some really fun, detailed, interesting, we think, EFL writing. So please do support us uh, if you can on that front. Thanks to Betfair for supporting this podcast as our sponsors now into their third year. We're really grateful for their support and also for yours. So have a good week. We'll chat again on Thursday for the betting show and go out. Jaden February.